Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hi, listener, and welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded. This is episode eighty. Adrian from the team here, and I'm joined by our CEO Renault as ever. Hi, Renault. How are you doing? Hey, not bad. How about you? Good. Yeah, thanks. Good.、Uh, not enjoying the long dark days now here in the UK, but uh, it's uh-huh. that's the way of things in winter. But、uh, yeah. yeah, get get me to a sunny beach somewhere. That'd be better. Yeah, it's even getting a little bit cold, at least at night in South China. So you see, wow, a, li- a little bit co- a little bit mild. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You don't <laughs> want to be in t-shirt. That's what I mean. Yeah, not jealous at all. Okay, it's talking of China. I've noticed, at least in the media in、uh, here in the UK, that there there has been some talk of quite a number of cases, and they're having some localized outbreaks of COVID in China. I think more in northern China than than in the south, where Sophie's is based, of course. But is this translating to you know restrictions which are affecting? The China side of our operations, as well as, of course, all the power issues and things like that.、Mm, nowhere near as the the power cuts. You know, traveling like moving people from one province to another may be an issue,、mm. uh, but that's so far that that that's the whole extent of it. Who 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 knows? But、um, it's you know you you have a case somewhere like I think it was、um, last week. There was a case in Disneyland in Shanghai, and then yes,、um, everybody who was going to the the Pudong side of of Shanghai, you know, was there were a lot of restrictions. And then if you came out of there and went into, you know, Kunshan, Suzhou, some some other like neighboring cities,、uh, they you know they, they requested that you、um, that you came out and 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 mentioned it, and probably they would want to test you and things like that.、Uh, and of course, it slows things down, but that. You know, so far, cross fingers. That's that's the whole extent of it. But of course, China is always on the verge of having a serious outbreak, and they know it. That's why they they are so strict and they they jump on it so fast, and they they want to、um, to double test and triple test everybody just to make sure. You know, so that's that's the、um, the way they do here. I mean, that's that that's the situation. And so far, it's been okay. Now you know how long, how long are they going to be able to、uh, to maintain that? Who knows? But I think you did. You see the the news about the the building of of these、uh, quarantine centers, or I don't know what they call it.、Uh, yeah, uh, they, they don't look they don't look very appetizing.、Uh, no, as, right. as someone that has traveled to China reasonably、yeah. regularly, that that. Perhaps is in my future, and、uh, yes. I must admit, I'd ra- I think I'd rather be in a hotel than in some sort of large. What、right. do we call it? Quarantine center. I'm trying not yeah, to use、yeah. the word detention. Yeah, security、uh, <clears throat> quarantine yeah. center. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so they're building a big one, five thousand beds in Guangzhou, pretty much, you know, near completion, I think. And they're also building one in Dongguan, one in Shenzhen. Uh, that that's all I heard, but there might be a bunch of others in other other places. So they're really planning to 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 maintain, you know, the lead on, on everything for for a while. They、um, 
I mean, China is not going to uh, to be fully open for you know for the foreseeable future. That's um, mm. that's just the sad truth of it. Well, the the, the zero COVID approach. Mm. I mean, sitting here in the West, mm. the, this is absolutely completely the opposite of of how the approach has been in you know Europe and and the states, perhaps you know. But it's been a really good political success, hasn't it, in China? Oh. You know, the government used that as a proof of their competence. So, you know, of course, uh, now, you know, and, and and they kept saying, look at the U.S., how bad it is. Look at mm. Europe, look at, you know, whatever, you know, poorly managed countries. Look at Brazil, look at Indonesia, look at, you know, we are a first class country, you know. <laughs> so, and that's what makes it difficult for them to, to back out of it, of course, now. It's, kind of, it's like the... The, the single child policy for for a long time they kept saying oh you know this is good for us it's good for us and now mm. they want they want women to have three kids if possible but <laughs> you know good luck to change the the minds and the habits right it's too late it's going to be very well hard. i i think 20 years ago women would have had three children more happily but these days mm. when a lot of chinese women are you know, career driven they're probably not going to be interested in that are they but but uh, but we digress that I think I think the point is probably going to be difficult to go to China and fingers crossed things do settle down a bit. Okay, mm. so on to the topic of today's podcast, which is protecting product IP. In October 2021, we published a guide on sophies.com, which is called IP Protection in China when developing your new products. And... You wrote this basically to give everybody a really thorough guide to all of the things that you want to do and to think about in order to protect your IP and some of the risks to IP. And it's those risks that I wanted to focus on today. So, you know, what are the main risks to product IP and how do we stop those? How do we identify and, and stop them? In the guide, there is a really good infographic uh, which outlines the sources of risks. I will add that in the show notes. But to anybody that's purely audio, don't worry, we're going to go through it step by step. So mm-hmm. when we talk about product risks, Renault, which uh, product IP risks, which products are most at risk, would you say? Um, the products that are most at risk, I think that's rather obvious. Uh, those that are very visible on the internet and maybe in, um, you know, uh, supermarket shelves and things like that, but probably in the internet is even more, um, more visible, uh, attracts attention much more now that are very visible that have, you know, clear signs of success in the marketplace that are not technically very challenging to reproduce that, um, uh, how to say, um, leave some room for profit so that they're not um, priced very low. Uh, if possible, they are priced very high <laughs> and, um, you know, and they're not very big and bulky. They can be even sent, uh, you know, drop shipped directly from China, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is the, uh, the, the most tempting, you know, for, um, and here we, we're going to focus mostly on, um, the 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 risk of having a Chinese company actually 
um, you know, reverse engineer your, your product, or maybe they are the one producing for you and they're going to sell it through some back channels, you know, basically mm-hmm. going in front of you uh, on, on, on your market, right? Because that's really what people are afraid of. I mean, we work mostly with uh, companies that develop their own products and this topic just keeps coming all the time and actually more and more often just because there's so many examples of crazy uh, China counterfeit or Chinese clones that are sold at half the price or sometimes much less than that. And people are really scared and they, they hear all kinds of stories or maybe fantasies and they, you know, and, and, and they're wondering what, what, what's really going on? What, what really are the risks? And that's, that's why we wrote that. And we didn't write it from the perspective of lawyers. Um, well, even though we mentioned, of course, legal tools are important. It's not something you can really skip over. Sure. Um, but more, um, you know, on the business side, what exactly is likely to happen and why? Um, and, and yeah, and we try to break it down, as you said, with, with that graph. So, uh, so people can see the different, really the different cases, uh, because it's not all the same situation. Mm, absolutely. So let's say we have a, an innovative product and we're worried about protecting its IP because it could be easily copied and potentially copycats could even beat us to market. And then that's it. The business is completely blown out of the water. What are those main risks, would you say? Right, right. So we broke it down in four situations. Think about it for audio listeners as a two-by-two table, let's say. And on one axis is, do you get copied early on or later? You know, and early on could be even when you're still developing your product. For some reason, somebody get the information, you know, reproduces it and beats you to the market. Um, or maybe they get um, they get on the market roughly at the same time as you or very fast after you get to market versus later. Um, because for many products, well, um, it takes time to, to build, you know, the distribution channels uh, or to, to fine-tune maybe the online advertising and, and, and so on. And that means success might not be immediate, but it might come, um, you know, six, six months down the road or two months down the road, uh, maybe on version two of the product because version one was not so good and so on, right? Mm. So on one side is, you know, getting copied early versus late. And then the, on the, the other axis is, do you get copied by some actor inside of your supply chain you know so <clears throat> people that you know basically and that 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 can see your project your design mm. and let's say they get inspiration from it and they they, they believe that it's got a, a nice uh, future and they want to compete against you right versus outside of your supply chain, you know, being copied by people totally unrelated who, um, who see your product is relatively successful and just think, hey, that, you know, that's a neat idea. And, mm-hmm. and look, you know, it's low risk because we already see there's a market for it. 
and we already see these guys how much they priced it and everything let's just you know do something maybe a little bit different or maybe just the same and let's put it mm-hmm. out there and let's let's um let's steal a part of their their market right so that, there you go so you have four basic situations yeah 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 and you you really can be a victim of your own success if you have an extremely popular uh mm. product that's online so mm. so it's definitely something to think about if we look at these four scenarios then let's focus on the early side of things so mm-hmm. who's likely to copy you early from within your supply chain and what can we do to avoid this or to deter them from doing that Mm-hmm. Well, it can come from a number of places. Obviously, you work with a supplier. That supplier themselves, you know, the company might think, "Hey, yeah, that's a neat product, you know, but um, not sure I need these guys to, um, you know." So they they might work with you know their cousin or maybe uh, directly with one of your competitors. Uh, maybe you didn't know that they were working together or they were, you know, at least talking. <laughs> and they say, well, you know, look at this product. It's nice. Oh, yeah, nice. I, I like to buy. And maybe your first order was going to be, um, I don't know, 500 pieces. But that other customer has very established di- distribution channels. And then they say, well, yeah, I'd like to order 5,000, right? <laughs> so what, what do you think is going to happen? It's very, very tempting. Plus they might set it at a higher price. They might actually pretend that it is their own product that they've developed themselves. And then they can, they can, uh, they can rip a higher price. <laughs> so it can be very tempting. And, and that's really, that risk is very high with ODM manufacturers, you know, these suppliers that uh, what we call orig- original um, design manufacturer, manufacturers. Um, mm-hmm. Usually what people mean by ODM is that they basically they have a showroom full of products and they say, well, these are my products. Okay. And they use that intellectual property to find various kinds of distributors, you know, mostly um, to who, who will buy the products, maybe make some, uh, some small changes, maybe put their logo on it, have a different packaging or something. And and, um, and and sell all of that. Uh, and for these people, if you come and you say, well, I want, you know, to make that product, da, 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 then they already, you know, their business model is to um, to own the, the, the intellectual property and to, to sell like differentiated product. And hmm. they usually, they're usually specialized in a certain vertical, in a certain industry. And that means, of course, they have all the contacts to sell basically their product if they, if they wanted. So in some cases, they they will work with you to get to a final prototype that you approve, and then they will stop talking to you and they will sell it to somebody else. Okay, that's the worst mm-hmm. case. And then there's all other kinds of cases with an OEM manufacturer, or you know, they 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 also tempted and maybe they maybe they supply to you, but they also maybe you're in the US and maybe they sell it into Australia. And then, oh, they didn't know, you know, the Australian customers also sell in the US and Amazon, for example. Maybe they didn't even know, but, you know, it's coming back to um, to bite you, of course. So there's all kinds of situations here, but it's the supplier, you know, that's tempted. 
to um, yeah, to to make a bunch of money, you know, on your back by not um, not respecting your intellectual property. And mm-hmm. it, again, it's more likely if they do some of the engineering for free, right? So if um, if you count on them to to do some of the engineering design for free, if you count on them to maybe pay for the molds themselves and things like that, well, in the end, they believe it's their product. You know, whatever your agreements say, that's just a fact. Work with the Chinese supplier. They're going to think it's their product in that case. And they're not going to have any qualms. No, you know, no hesitation whatsoever on moral grounds, right? Mm. Um, They might have hesitations with, oh, what are these guys going to do when they find out about it? That's what might scare them, but that's it, right? So that's being copied early from within your supply chain by your supplier now yes. it could be just an employee of that supplier who say hey this is really neat and oh i get all the drawings and everything and i'm I'm going to set up my own shop you know my own company and i'm going to mm. produce that with you know a friend of mine who's going to produce it that can happen too it's maybe less likely but it can happen and it's really hard mm. to to prevent that i have to say it could be a sub supplier, you know, that's just going to provide maybe the uh, one of the modules of the of the product. Maybe it's an electronic product. You, you need to have this one, you know, module, and then they they also maybe write the firmware for it and things like that. They know all the functions, and it's really not that hard for them to to make the rest of the product, you know. So it could be tempting. It could be the the the, the tool makers. Um, it could be. You know the companies maybe for example one of our clients they they suspected maybe the um the company okay because they make toys toy figurines, so usually for toy figurines, normal process typical process is to to have some um some little like mini figurines uh not mini but how to say in clay actually they tend to be larger, mm-hmm. but some um early prototypes right in 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 clay. And then they, they work with a company that makes that for them. And then, yeah, maybe these guys are, are using our early design and working hand in hand with another supplier that, that will make our products right away. Right. So that mm. these are, these are the different sources of risk. Uh, now, if you do everything in the U S or in France, or, you know, this risk doesn't go to zero. If you do it in China, is the risk higher? Um, yeah, probably, probably. But you, you, you don't start from a zero base here, right? Mm. You, you, I mean, this is not only in China, right? This is not only mm-hmm. in China. There's, um, there's a lot of cases where people just move jurisdictions and then they know that they cannot be sued and they do whatever they want. Uh, and that's, that's in every country, even with, with the best ecosystems. That that's the risk of working with people who mm. get to know a little bit, you know, more than you wish, and uh, and then they, they they do these kinds of things. So one of the usual uh, approaches, and more and more people have heard about that, you know, is to to compartmentalize the the supply chain to to break the supply chain into different silos. But yeah. <laughs> and 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 often they want to do the assembly, you know, in the UK, in the US. But then they look at the total risk. The problem is when you break everything down like this, it's it's fine up to a point, but you need to have a final 
uh, probably the assembly supplier that knows everything so they can test everything properly mm-hmm. and um and and they orchestrate the supply chain over there on the ground right and and they should usually be in the same country you start to, to do the assembly in another country then you have some other risks that really go up a lot you, you have some custom components and you know they're made in china made in malaysia wherever they are sent to maybe to the u.s you want to have assembly there or to mexico and then you find out that oh this batch of ten thousand components oh we have a problem you know uh, we didn't catch that quality problem right there now mm-hmm. what do we do do we send it back do we, then it's very costly in time and costly in money so you, it's an exercise in balancing the risks yeah that makes a lot of sense and uh Loving that uh, globalized supply chain, unfortunately, it does throw up its own risks, doesn't it? If, you, if, you, if you're talking about those distances to be sending back defects and things like that. But uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So uh, with the treatment of IP by all these different actors, then I'm assuming that if we look at the legal tools as a way to mitigate any issues here, one of the yeah. best things you could be doing is to have a really solid product development or manufacturing agreement. Um, well, first, before you disclose anything to anybody, make sure that they mm. sign the, the proper type of non-disclosure agreement that is mm. actually enforce, enforceable in their country and that addresses not only non-disclosure, but also non-use, non-circumvention, you know, other yeah. typical um, topics. Um, and, and make sure that when they share that with their own suppliers or wherever, you know, they also get these are the ones to, to, to sign the right kind of, of, uh, of NDA again. And that yep. they, you know, and really it's an exercise in narrowing down your options before you share too many files, because otherwise you, you know, mm. you might get a b- better price if you do an RFQ with, you know, 20 or 30 potential suppliers, but you maximize also the risk of, leakages so again you reduce one risk or whatever you optimize something you know a part of your project but then the, the other risks go up the roof um, so um, try to minimize you know the risk of leakage try to minimize the number of parties that get the sensitive information right and, and there's mm. different ways to, to do that then once you start working with somebody yeah a product development agreement will clarify Who's going to pay for what? Uh, who's going to own the intellectual property? Um, you know, any restrictions on where to manufacture and things like that, right? And then manufacturing agreement is after that more for the ongoing, yeah. uh, ongoing work, uh, which yeah, again will will cover some of the risks. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. yeah, the legal tools, um, yeah, don't don't skip them. Yeah, good. Got it. Okay, great. So that was number one of four. Number two, we're still looking at early on. So who is likely to copy you early from outside of your supply chain uh, Mm. and what can be done? I'm thinking here, maybe if you've got a successful Kickstarter, for example. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So, I mean, Indiegogo and Kickstarter is great to... um, to raise some funding and to to get some some, <clears throat> some buzz on the marketplace, mm-hmm. um, sure. But this raises your 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 risk 
exposure to being copied by um, you know clone shops somewhere in uh, in, in Shenzhen or Dongguan, right? And mm. this, uh, I mean, I see some companies that go on Indiegogo. They don't even have a fully working prototype yet. Uh, you know, and they haven't done any reviews of manufacturability of their product, which means they they might think they're just two months away from production, but actually they're maybe six months or maybe one year away from production, depending on the complexity mm-hmm. of their product, right? And and even on Kickstarter, where they, they must have a prototype and everything. I mean, we've seen some projects that have been, you know, one year, two years late. There's There's, there's a bunch of them, actually. So if you, um, the, the, the thing is, there's a lot of Chinese companies looking at this. You know, they look at it every day. And, oh, this is an up, an up and coming project. Look at that. Oh, it's successful. Okay. Let's, um, based on all the photos and videos and everything, let's work on, 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 on developing it at the, what they call Shenzhen speed, you know, really, really fast. And yeah, sometimes they get to market actually before the original product gets to market. And maybe mm-hmm. it's an inferior product, but then they, what is amazing is that some of them, they have relays, you know, in the US and, and probably also in Europe, but the, the big markets where they can go fast and get big is, is the US. So they focus a lot on it. They, they have, you know, their relays, their contacts there for, um, Reaching out to the bloggers, sending them some some um, some samples to try, and you know, to maybe the bloggers that first reviewed the original article and say, "Oh, this is great! Oh, hey, you did a review on that one. Let me send you this one. Um, it does pretty much the same thing, and it's half the price." You know, and these hmm. bloggers often will do the video and say, "Well, you know what? Yeah, it's a little bit kind of feels a bit cheaper, but you know, this is half the price. So there you go, right?" Hmm. Um, so they, they 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 know how to generate the buzz. They know they know how to get the the same keywords in uh, Amazon and other marketplaces. Uh, they 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 know how to um, to really position themselves in front of the original product, the uh, you know the the real innovator. And if they're actually on you know in production and delivering to the market before the original one. It's like, you know, of course, they get even more exposure. Oh, look at these guys on Kickstarter. But um, there's similar products already out there. You know, why do you wait for these guys who are already six months mm. behind schedule? You know, so, yeah, companies have been burned by that. Some companies have been really burned. Um, and this has nothing to do with where you make your product. That's what people don't really think about, but... Um, there's this case, and we we did a um, we mentioned it in one of our articles. I don't know, maybe six months ago, the mouse trap, right? So you have this mm-hmm. guy in Texas who uh, who makes you know who designs a, a new kind of mouse trap that's pretty nice, pretty neat, works pretty well. Makes the molds there, you know, injects the products there, assembles there, you know, ships from there, and then this guy now sees that. Uh, you know, there are cheap competitors from China, and he's mm-hmm. like, "What? You know, how come I I haven't done anything in China?" 
Yeah, but they saw your, you know, the YouTube reviews and everything, and and they could see that it was successful in the market, so they they were interested, and it was not that complicated for them to uh, to reproduce. And now they're positioning themselves against you in every way they can with a lower price point. Ouch! Yeah. So that's something that will probably happen if you have a successful product with you know that's visible and that gets noticed um, wherever you produce. Mm. So basically try and be as close to manufacturing as possible before going really big on the internet, I guess. If you're afraid of that, yes, that's, that's basically what I would suggest. Or, Mm. I mean, there's different, then it gets to the business strategy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. For example, one of our clients once told me, Hey, um, and they make some really cool you know, kitchen kitchenware products, and they they, they say, hey, uh, yeah, we um, we actually copy ourselves, <laughs> and we make a cheaper version, more simple. So this is the 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 really the, the fancy design with the, the special materials and everything, and that one comes with a premium. But you know, mm. if it's sold on Amazon and things like that, people are going to see that this is successful. You know, there's going to be people going going against it, and and by the way, a lot of the time it's not Chinese companies that take the initiative of that, right? Especially on on Amazon, it's other, you know, Europeans, Americans, Australians, whatever, who go um, who use software to see which products are selling well. They study mm-hmm. the reviews to see how to make it a little bit different to maybe. Um, make people happier or whatever, you know, and they, and then they go to a Chinese factory often and say, Hey, um, we need to make it this like that, but a little bit different, more like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And who actually takes the initiative of that in these cases, I believe most of the time it's not a Chinese company. Right. Uh, so again, the, the bad, you know, the, the bad news may come from China and, and the, these other products, competing products might be made in China, but it's, it's not Chinese people actually going against you. It's maybe someone who lives in the same street as you, right? Yes. So, yeah, th- yeah there's, there's a number of ways to, to go about it. You know, you can maybe copy yourself with a cheaper product, more uh, run off the mill, just to, to cut the grass under these people's feet. Um, mm. you, you, you can go ahead with a, strategy of just um, of, of low price high volume from the start but then you mm. probably need more financing um, you know th- there's there's different ways different ways mm. but when you say copy I mean mm. there's a bit of a difference between making mm. a carbon copy of somebody's product which is exactly the same product mm-hmm. and making a similar kind of product that that is very similar because you know mm. Apple made their airpods which are wireless bluetooth earbuds Mm -hmm. but they can't go and sue every single company that's bought out earbuds because the all the big tech companies have bought out earbuds and uh, earbuds and small ones as well so that but they've essentially all copied each other (laughs) right so yeah obviously if you if there's a brand and then you counterfeit the brand and you pretend that it's, you know, an LV bag or a Gucci, a Gucci bag or something like that, yeah. or Hermes, uh, you know, whatever, um, 
uh, Omega Watch and so on. This is kind of fit. You reuse their trademark and okay. Plus, it really looks the same. This is the worst. In most of these cases, it will not be counterfeit in the sense that they will not reuse the, the same name. And again, I'm not a no. lawyer, so I might use some terms here that are not exactly uh, relevant, but um, sure. not appropriate, I should say. But um, the, um, they, they, they will, most of, most of the time what they do, because they don't really have much time you know, uh, to, um, to try to make a great product or really to, to get it as, as nice as, as the original product in terms of finishing and so on. They just go ahead with whatever material and processes, you know, they're familiar with that are inexpensive and, and that's it, you know. So they don't really try to make it look exactly the same. Mm. Uh, they just try to make it easy for themselves and, you know, and, and uh, keep costs down. So there's, there's often, you know, differences. And if it's the material is not exactly the same, the finishing is not exactly the same, Maybe the way it functions is not exactly the same, but pretty similar. You know, it's it's not that risky. Now, if the innovator has maybe a, a, a patent on the way it works and then they really copy the way it works, well, then in the countries where that patent is in place, they might have trouble. You know, the innovator can go after yeah. their distribution channels and, and, and get them... Um, delisted and, and things like that but yeah. if it's sold from far away from china hey you know from let's say from the u.s are you going to sue a chinese company in china to uh, to collect collect against them and things like that you know usually no so the risk is rather low yeah let's move on to the second type of risk which is being copied later on in a product's life cycle so your product's already on the market. Hopefully it's successful. People are taking notice though. So what about when you're copied later on from within your supply chain? Well, what we've noticed in China is that when you start making a new product and you order 500 pieces, 1,000 pieces, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, so many products like out there that, you know, that, that, that go with these small volumes and, and whatever. When you start to buy 5,000 pieces at a time, 8,000, 10,000, ooh, there's a lot more interest. Ooh, what's this product? Mm. You know, ooh, there could be a lot of money made here. And not just suppliers, but sub-suppliers also. Oh, you, you, you order a lot of our, I don't know, camera modules or, or you know, hinges or whatever, plastic parts or, you know, what, what is it, you know? They're a bit curious. Oh, there's something here. You know, it's not bad. And for example, and that that was maybe six months to one year ago. One of our um, clients has a pretty successful product, and we noticed that one of the component suppliers was kind of spied, or I don't know. There was there was another person unrelated, and we don't even know how they get. The information about that product but they were trying mm. to get information about it going to different you know to, to a supplier that was making parts used in the assembly of that product and we don't really know how you know how it happened or what but we um we get 
we get the information about it from that supplier and we tried to to understand and basically yeah it was an external guy who had probably his own little factory or maybe it was a trading company trying mm-hmm. you know i don't know how we heard about it you know the problem is people in china brag often and sometimes talk a lot too much uh, really too much and he was trying to see maybe the brand or you know to see the full product and um try to maybe make the same one or maybe try to propose his services to the end customer or you know who don't we don't know but there's a lot of interest sometimes when they see that a product is work is is really selling nicely right mm-hmm. and so if maybe you work with the rogue manufacturer maybe they will sell the same product through the back door because they see there's a big market after a while maybe you push them too much on pricing hey maybe you drop them but you could not recover the molds right mm. the very 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 typical case maybe you pay for the molds but you you drop them and they know that the relationship is over and they're not giving you the molds and you don't have the proper contract and that's it basically they have the molds and you're very unhappy about it but there's nothing you can do well what are they going to do with these molds you know and they know that your 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 product is rather successful well there's a risk right here and mm. if they've been uh, supplying to you for a while they might have a good idea of where you sell your products and right there you know big big red flashing risk right mm. and again the risk is higher with ODM manufacturer same um same story as i said earlier if you work with suppliers that have a business model of actually using intellectual property of products to sell you know to get new customers and to sell to these customers it's more likely that they will try to appropriate your intellectual property so that's mm. being the risk of being copied later from uh, within your supply chain Mm, okay and so to round it out then the final one which is being copied later from outside of your supply chain mm. tell me about that please so and i covered some of that already but let's say you yeah. you um over time your product becomes more successful in the marketplace you uh maybe you 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 line up uh, a few um retail chains to sell your product you uh you find the way to to sell it in e-commerce via I don't know with Facebook ads or or on, on Amazon or some other platforms like that. And after a while, you know, people will notice. People will notice. Oh, this is a this is a nice product. It's selling well. And as I said, yeah, if it's all on Amazon, there are software that actually will show what categories and what products are hot you know, are growing fast, are, are selling a lot without much competition, right? So they look at that and they say, well, there's a lot of money to be made here and they want to go against you. That's, you know, that that's just the, the sad reality of it. And the trend is actually to, to have a, a multiplication of the same products, mm-hmm. um, when one product sells well on Amazon, it's just crazy. It just multiplies. A lot of people notice. A lot of people come up with their own product, you know, with their own flavor, everyone. And then it really dilutes the original product. 
So yeah. if you haven't really built a brand, if you don't, if you don't have special access to certain types of users or cons- consumers, customers uh, that that that's not easy to replicate. If if you I don't know if your product doesn't have certain properties that are very hard for others to replicate, well, you you know you might just be washed away by this this uh, ocean of how to call them. They're not really copycats. Mm. They might all do it a little bit differently. Uh, you know, this one's a little bit bigger. This one's a little bit lighter. This one has this extra function. This one has special colors. This one, whatever, is totally in recycled materials. <laughs> this one, right? But all of this mm. eats into your market share. Uh, yeah. Right? And and if you sell business to business, well, your main customer might just not care and just go around you. Uh, that That would not be unheard of. It just happens, right? They say, well, mm. why would I pay X for the products from these guys? And they haven't really innovated for, for some time. I don't really get great service from them, but I can get it from for, for half of X, maybe if I go direct uh, or, or if, I, if I get another supplier to make it. And, mm. you know, you don't always have very protective patents and things like that to uh, to fight against that. And by the way, talking about patents, having patents doesn't mean that you're really well protected. You know, you should also have, I mean, well-written patents and also have the budget for, for lawyers to defend your patents, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that can be a big problem for you know, hardware startups and, and uh, entrepreneurs like that, can't it? Right, definitely, definitely. Mm. And then you have the, as I say, the manufacturers, you know, they see the marketplace and they want to, uh, they say, oh, this is working. Even if it's been released, you know, three years ago, hey, I can make it much cheaper so I can make good, a good a good margin. I mean, this is always going to be to, to, to be there. And, and And again, it's not just China, right? Where China is just amazing is how fast they will redevelop it and how how little care they 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 they, they give to um to IP protections and you know oh maybe they're gonna sue us and things like that. They don't think about it. Just, they just go ahead. Yeah. The the risk comes from other sources as well. Absolutely. Great. Well, that was a very, very detailed and interesting look at the main risks to your product's IP. And you've definitely given some good examples and and also some guidance on how to you know avoid or at least reduce the risks, which is good. However, if you're listening right now and you're thinking, wow, this this was this was an excellent episode, you need to go and read that guide because this is only sort of one chapter of the guide out of, I don't know, like about 10 chapters or something. So uh, it goes into a lot more detail about everything that you need to be considering to protect that IP when you're developing and manufacturing new products in China. You can go to the website. It's under Learning Center and Resources in the menu. Uh, You can also check the show notes. And I will leave the link to the guide there. Uh, but yeah, thanks for that, Renault. Before we go, good news. We have breached 10,000 downloads on the podcast. Can you believe it? That's, that's a lot, actually. That's a lot. Yes. Good yeah. news. So, good news. so to uh, everybody listening, 
That's 10,000 downloads. Thank you. We uh, appreciate you joining us on this journey. Yeah, for people who've been listening for a while, I mean, please yeah. go to whatever software you use, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever, and just give us a five-star review. I mean, that, that you know, it helps other people also find the, the, the podcast and gives us a little sure boost does. to the morale. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I was thinking to celebrate this milestone, our most popular episode ever was where we discussed the new product introduction process. So in the coming weeks, let's revisit that topic, shall we? And uh, we'll yeah. put out another episode uh, focused on MPI for everybody. Mm. Yeah, great idea. Okay, so that's it for now. Uh, thanks for joining me, Renault, And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. All right. Well, you'll hear from us next week as usual. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.